Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca.ca. Um, well, what an absolute privilege um, to just experience a presence like that. It's so thick and so heavy, you know. Just the goodness of God. I mean, we prayed about it before. And I shouldn't be crying already. <laughs> but just such a beautiful presence. And I just had this word in the, in the worship. Truth. It felt like the Holy Spirit was whispering truth into the ears of every single person here. Truth that sets us free. Truth that brings liberty. Truth that brings a freedom, you know. And, you know, it is such a privilege to be part of a community like this. You know, where we honor the presence of God, where we go after the heart of God, and we go after the goodness of God, and where we champion one another. I think it's such a privilege to be in a, in a, I mean, this is like a transformational moment, you know. It's like the Holy Spirit is speaking to us individually. It's like sometimes we can think that we're just in a crowd, but the Holy Spirit and the Father sees us as individual, individuals, every single one. And so, and, and I, think, I think one of the, one of the biggest benefits of being part of a community like this is that we understand the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father is, a, is more about what He calls us into as opposed to what He's calling us or what He's called us out of. You know, the heart of the Father is always for us to be pushed forward into, into like a greater fruitfulness, into like greater life, a greater expression of His life. And that is the heart of the Father. And you know, there's a, there's a scripture that says that he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous and glorious light. And the, and the main focus of that particular verse is the glorious and the marvelous light that he calls us into. The past is, is done. It's there. It's over. But he calls us into so much more, you know. And, you know, I, I, love, I love the Old Testament. Um, I think... A couple of the reasons why I love the Old Testament is because, you know, it's, it's a bit more of a puzzle. It's a, it's a little bit more cryptic because in the New Testament, like the love of Jesus is made so apparent and so real. But in the Old Testament, you almost have to dig a little bit because you see the themes, you know, coming through. You know, just the Old Testament talks about Jesus and the goodness of God and the salvation plan, like on every single page. And it's almost like, I find it quite exciting to go and find, you know, where's Wally? Where's, where, where, where is Jesus in the story, you know? And, um, and, and I think one of the biggest benefits to understanding the Old Testament is that these are real-life examples of people that were on a journey with God and they made mistakes and they, made, and they, and they had victories but just how God worked with him. And so, you know, we can almost, by understanding the journey that God has walked through these people, we can almost stand on these people's shoulders, you know. We don't necessarily have to go and make the same mistake, you know. We don't have to go and do those things. And it's, it's again, just the Father just wanting to set us up for victory, you know. It's like, you don't do this. Don't do this. This is so much better for you. And almost like, not so much where you are, but calling you into, into the more. And... One of my favorite stories is, is, um, is the story of Israel, and it starts off with Exodus. Um, I, I, for the first time, came across the Bible Project, and it just does, 
it just summarizes things so well and so succinctly, and it's, it's, it's opened new horizons, you know. And, and the story of Exodus is such a, it almost follows on with the scripture that I just quoted, you know. He's called us out of darkness into, the, into his marvelous and glorious light. And in the beginning of Exodus, we find God's people who have got a great heritage. They've got forefathers like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even as recently as 400 years before that, they've got a Joseph who obtained such favor from the most powerful man in the world. And it resulted in such blessing to God's people. And they've had promises of how they will flourish and how they will prosper. However, in the beginning of Exodus, we find God's people so far removed from the, from the reality, from the truth of those words. And we find uh, a people that are oppressed um, by cruel and a wicked king and they put to hard labor where they have to make these huge bricks out of straw and mud and to build the pyramids and to build all these things that glorify the Egyptian empire. And I think if I was a, a father or a, a man in those days, I would find it really difficult to motivate myself to go to work on a Monday morning, you know? <laughs> but it wasn't really all that much about my motivation because my taskmasters were so brutal that if I didn't, I could die. And so we see, we see how God weaves in the salvation story into the despair and the despondency that the Israelites must have felt. Because here they had no hope, but every day was Groundhog Day, another brick, another brick, another brick. And, but God hears the cries of his people and he starts a salvation story, a beautiful salvation story, and he raises up Moses and Moses comes through and God uses Moses so incredibly powerfully. Um, the Egyptians, after so many miracles of God's absolute power, reluctantly decide to let the um, the, the Israelites go and they off through the desert and even in the desert God sustains them miracle upon miracle and they come to the promised land the, the land that is defined as the land flowing with milk and honey and that in essence is what I want to speak on today is, is the land flowing with milk, of hon- milk and honey and that is what the Father calls us into is a land that is, that is so rich that is so full that is so vibrant with God's expression of God's life and as Christians you know I think there's so many parallels you know where we can draw parallels through the Old Testament this particular story you know those of us that know that are in a relationship with Jesus we understand to some extent maybe not fully because as we get to heaven in heaven we will fully understand but we're on this journey of understanding the truth of what Jesus has done for us on the cross the truth of how he has set us free the truth how we now are in a position to believe for things that five years ago we thought were absolutely impossible. How, um, you know, just being in a, in, a, in a worship service like this, like just being able to communicate with our maker, you know, the one that made us, the one that knows my comings and my goings, he knows my, my desires, he knows my faults, everything is altogether plain before him and still he's here. Still, he's committed to me. Still, he's in covenant with me. And still, he's saying, go, Jacques. Forget about the past. Go, Jacques. And he knows everybody's name here. And so there are so many parallels for us, um, you know, just in the journey that we see God walk. At the beginning of this year, um, you know, generally on the 31st of December, I am so excited. I cannot wait for the new year to start. I'm an entrepreneur. And 
for those of you that know entrepreneurs, it doesn't take a lot to excite an entrepreneur, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, and for as many years as I can, I can recall, I was excited about, you know, the new year, the new opportunities, the new things that I'm going to do, and the new things that, you know, we're going we're gonna to build. Beginning of this year, I didn't really feel like that. To be honest, I was, I was quite fearful, you know, and I, I, was, I was almost approaching the year with some trepidation, you know, and, and I realized, <laughs> yeah, we need to pray for entrepreneurial, for wives of entrepreneurs, because they need more faith than the entrepreneur. We, we sniff a rag and we're off, but the wives. So, you know, I was, I was quite apprehensive, and, and I realized that this isn't how it should be. You know, a good friend of mine phoned me and he said to me, Jacques, how are you doing? And I said to him, you know, to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm carrying some despair. I'm carrying some disappointment in my heart, you know. And there's some things that just didn't, last year was quite a tough year, you know. Things didn't match up the way that I wanted it to. And, and, and I said to him, you know, but I do also understand that I need to deal with this thing. Because if I don't deal with this thing, this thing's going to produce more fruit. You see, a tree can only produce after its own kind. You know, when God created everything, he said that the lions will produce more lions, and the apple trees will produce more apples, and the pear trees will produce more apples. And so you cannot really go to an apple tree and find pears. However, modern technology apparently has changed this. Now, on some trees, you can find four or five different things. But if man doesn't intervene, you will find apples on apple trees. And this little disappointment in my heart this little callous or this little, and that's in essence what it is, it's a lie. It's a lie that the enemy has gotten me to believe about the nature of God. And you know, the thing is like I, my personality type is, I'm a big picture person and I like to summarize everything because I hate detail. You know, I get caught up in detail and it frustrates me. So I like to summarize everything. And I've been on a lengthy theological discourse about sin. Um, no, I haven't, but... <laughs> You know, for me, the, the very root or the very essence of sin is unbelief, is not fully trusting the Father, not fully trusting in His nature. And I'll give you some examples, and I think it's for every single one of them. So why do I steal? Because I don't really believe that God is big enough to meet my need. Why do I lie? Because I don't really believe that God is big enough to overcome the circumstances if I tell the truth. Even in the Garden of Eden, we find, we find Adam and Eve and the serpent, and this is original sin, first sin. And the serpent convinces Adam and Eve that God doesn't really want them to eat of this fruit because in the day that they eat of that fruit, they will become like God. And so because God wasn't enough, they felt like they needed to be God. And they ate of that fruit. And again, it was God wasn't enough. God wasn't able. I need to step into that place. And on a daily basis, we are challenged like that to step into the place of where God. And so we move into performance and we move into, you know, a couple of other things. And so a tree can only produce after its own kind. And in Psalm 91, it says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, he that perpetually lives, habitually lives in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And it just speaks of if we are presence there, and we have all the benefits of being under his wings, of being of protection and provision and intimacy and closeness. And this is what the Father calls us into, is that place. But when I, when I map that over 
my little disappointment at the beginning of the year, I realized that there were some parts of my heart that weren't totally aligned with the truth that this scripture brings out. Sorry, I just need to... I'm old school, so I still like these mind maps. So, so back to the Old Testament. Um, you know, back to the story of Israel. So, so we see Israel, God deliver him by his mighty right hand out of Egypt's grasp through the wilderness, and they come to the promised land at the end of Exodus, and they inhabit the promised land. And, and I would suggest to you that every single one of us here that are in a relationship with God are in our promised land to a greater or lesser extent. You know, um, if I look at my life, I might be carrying a disappointment in one area, but there are so many other areas where it is a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, from my, from my vantage point, my, my marriage, my children, um, just friendship, community. I mean, you know, there are so many people that would love to have what we have here just in relationship. Forget even about the presence of God, but just out of the relationship, there are so many people that would give anything to be part of this. And so, so Israel enter into their promised land, and you know it would be lovely to say that all the challenges stopped, stopped, and everything was all over, everything was fine, everything that they touched was a land flowing with milk and honey, but it wasn't so. And it's almost like we can see that there is a little thread um, that runs through the history of Israel in the promised land in that we can almost gauge the intimacy level with the Father based on, on the altars. So there's a theme of altars throughout the, the Old Testament. We see that um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and all of these men, as soon as God wrought a great victory for them or spoke something of their future or their identity over or they had a massive encounter with God, often what they would do is they would build these altars. And these altars served as a memorial um, to future generations. Remember what God did here. But also these, these um, you know, the definition of an altar is a place of sacrifice and it's a place of thanksgiving and a place of, Lord, you are so incredible. And they, and they build these altars. And in essence, altars were were made out of um, sand and unhewn stone. So no human, it wasn't a precisely cut stone, it was basically a heap of rocks and a heap of sand. However, in the times when Israel started drifting um, away from God, you would see the establishment of things called high places. And these were also almost like memorials to to foreign gods where they had started believing a lie about the love of the Father and they'd been taken on a journey and they got to a place where they believed something that was a lie was actually the truth and they started building these things in honor of other gods. And, you know, the thing is, our mind is a, is a, is a funny thing, you know. As soon as we, as soon as our minds, uh, as soon as we've drawn a conclusion, we, we, we tend to, our mind tries to reinforce that. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So, so Shani, and I've, I've cleared this with Shani, and Shani says we can, we can talk about this. But when we first got married, my, my apartment, it looked like a showroom. In fact, it was called a showroom by my best friend, you know, at the time. He said everything is perfect, and we would have home group, and little kids would come, and they would pour out Coca-Cola on my coffee table. And I would like to, I would have, at that moment, wanted to cling wrap all of them, you know, because you just, you're messing up the picture, you know. And when I got married, you know, Shani had been on the road for a long time, and, 
she'd been living out of other people's houses, and so she had always been forced to be very neat and very tidy, and so she probably felt that when we got married that you know, she didn't need to be as neat and as tidy as, <laughs> as what Jacques was, you know? And, um, and, you know, one of the things that irked me immensely in the beginning stages of our marriage was the fact that she would make coffee, but she wouldn't put the lid back on or she wouldn't put it back. And so now I'd get into the kitchen and it's like, no, come on. And, you know, and I'd speak to Shani about this. And after a while, I realized I'm not going to win this one. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and I decided, you know, I'm going to let this thing go. But I could so easily have just every single time Shani left something out, I could have a little stone in my hand and just put it over there. And the next time, that's another one. And after I've got a whole lot of stones together, I can draw a conclusion that, you know, she doesn't really care about me. You know, she doesn't really want, she doesn't, she's not really considerate of me. She just wants her own way. And the next time I saw the cap on the toothpaste off, I add another stone. And after a while, I've got this big mound and I've got a high place in my heart and I'm believing a lie that she doesn't love me and that she doesn't care for me. And as a result, I've got this big thing that I now need to deal with. And it's almost like imprisoning people, you know. The thing is, that's why the Bible says we mustn't judge people because it is so easy, you know, we, we meet people and even with God, you know, we can get to that place. You know, I've been praying for this for so long and it hasn't happened. And I haven't let go of these stones. I've actually kept all of these stones. And next thing, I've got this little high place in my heart where, you know, I could experience the goodness of God in a lot of other little areas, but I can't experience it here because this place is not aligned with the truth. I'm believing a lie in this period, in this, in this, part, of my, in this part of my heart. And I've actually totally lost myself here, and I just <laughs> quickly need to see where I am. But... <laughs> yeah. So, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, taking into captivity every single thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So let's start off first. What is the true knowledge of God? The true knowledge of God is that God is always good is that God always wants the best for me. He's intimate. He's not distant. And you know, he's given me his Holy Spirit. So no matter where I go, I've got him with me. He doesn't, it's been said before, he's not schizophrenic. He doesn't leave me when, uh, you know, when, when I've done something bad or, or whatever. He doesn't leave me. He's married to me. He's married to me. He will never, ever leave me. And so that's the truth of this knowledge of God. But, you know, as we go through life, there are certain circumstances outside in the real physical world that aren't necessarily aligned to the truth of the kingdom. There is a higher truth, which we experience in the presence right here today. There's a higher truth. And all of a sudden, all the things that we face just feel like they're not that important. But the beginning of that verse says, For the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. So he's obviously given us some weapons, some tools, that we can use on a daily basis in order to overcome every single thought that exalts itself against the truth that God isn't good, that God doesn't want your goodness. And 
You know, I had this scripture, um, I think it's Philippians 4 verse 8, and it says, whatsoever things are true, it actually starts off with true and just and noble and upright and of good report, he says, meditate on these things. And it's almost like it's a kingdom strategy, you know. You know, the enemy wants us to believe the lie, and he wants us to believe his or follow his strategy. And his strategy is that Shani, because Shani doesn't put away the coffee, that she doesn't honor me. And as a result, there's a disconnect in my relationship. And now there's no unity, and God can't bless it if there's no unity, you know. And so I'm now on a journey where I'm believing some lie about my wife. And as a result, I'm allowing him to steal intimacy and connection between the two of us. And it's the same with our relationship with the Father. It's like we can believe a lie, you know, God hasn't healed me and so he doesn't really care about me. I'm actually not a son, I'm a cousin. I'm standing right at the back of the queue. And the devil can come in any, he's so crafty, but he brings lies. And on my journey, you know, beginning of this year, I just decided I need to get rid of this thing because I don't want this thing to produce more fruit in my life. And I did the, the, the uh, Journey of the Heart um, course, which if you haven't done it, I would really recommend that you do it. It is a lot of these tools more practical and more intense. But so, so there, there are these tools. And in the beginning of the year, I just felt like I needed to get over this disappointment. I needed to get over this because I want God's life in that part of my life. I don't want a hard heart there because the longer I leave it, it's like... It's like squatters, they will invite their cousins and they'll invite everybody else and they'll move in and next thing the whole place is just overrun, you know. And, and, and so I wanted, to, I wanted to be free and um, beginning of this week, uh, Rob called me, on Thursday Rob called me and um, he was just checking in and I just said to him, he wanted me to go to the motherland thing on that evening and I, and I just said, you know Rob, it's month end, and uh, I'm, I'm a little bit pressured and whatever. And, um, and it would be much better for you if I didn't come, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I, was, I was very frank and very honest with him. And, but as soon as I put down the phone, uh, Shani and the girls were out. And we live on a, on a, uh, in a house with a decent-sized um, garden. And I just put some praise and worship music on. And I went out into the garden. And nobody can see me and nobody can hear me. And I just started praising God. I just started glorifying Him, you know. And in Psalm, is it Psalm 34, uh, the scripture there says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. And this is the first time I've ever brought a prop to um, a sermon. So you were here. You were the first. And for those of you who don't know, this is a, a magnifying glass. And so that verse says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And what it did was it forced me to just look up and just look through this magnifying glass. And all of a sudden, the Father and the kingdom and everything was so much bigger than everything that I was facing, you know. You know, I've spoken about how we can build these high places, but you know, we can also build these altars that, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob built, you know. Whenever we... Um, Paul writes to Timothy and he says to him, remember the prophetic words that were spoken over you. And whenever we remember those prophetic words, we're taking a stone and we're putting it over here and we're saying God is good and God is faithful. And whenever we pray and we, and we, and we declare things over and we align ourselves with the truth of the kingdom, we're taking stones and we're putting them on that heap. And, you know, there's a great example in, in Acts where a guy by the name of Cornelius, he had been praying and praying and praying and the angel of God appears to him and he says to him, Cornelius, your prayers have come up before God as a memorial. 
It's almost like in heaven there is this big mound and the father almost has to walk around it because this thing is now so big, you know. And God uses him miraculously to bring him, uh, to bring Paul, Saul and then Paul, into the community of, of, of early Christians in Jerusalem. And God uses him significantly. But this man, Cornelius, knew how to build altars to God. And it's not a works thing. Honestly, I'm not trying to sell a works program here. It's not a self-help program. You know, you need to believe right. It's, it's us partnering with the Holy Spirit so that we understand the truth of the kingdom and that the lies just evaporate. So, back to my example of um, the magnifying glass. My girls love magnifying glasses. And one of the biggest benefits or one of the biggest uses for a magnifying glass for them is that they can go outside if the sun is shining and they can concentrate sunlight onto a focal point and they can start a fire. They love that. In summer, it's not so much of a problem, but winter, we have to be careful. And, um, but I think, I think there's something in it for us because, you know, we are magnifying glasses. You know, God, like the sun, He speaks constantly. He speaks constantly. His goodness is always there. Because Jesus came, all of his anger, all of his wrath has been turned away. And so his goodness is consistent and continuous. Regardless of what we do, regardless of circumstances, regardless of where you come from, his goodness is always there. And so it's like the sunlight. And picture yourself like this magnifying glass. There's somebody that has a broken arm. And the sunlight The goodness of God is right here, and I can focus the goodness of God onto that point over there, and I can start a fire. And this is our inheritance. You know, this is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is what the Father calls us into, is that we partner with Him to bring the kingdom and the power of the kingdom down to the earth so that things are no longer, so that the lies of the enemy are exposed and that the truth of God that He wants to heal, He wants to set free, is evident and apparent you know, wherever we go. And so I, I just want to finish off with, um, with one thing, you know. There's been a wave of fear coming over the nation. There's been a wave of, um, of, of lies coming across the nation that we don't have a future. As a nation, we don't have a future. You know, I'm a South African, I love South Africa, and I don't want to go anywhere. My girls all have Irish passports, but I don't want to go anywhere, because, because I believe that there is an inheritance here that we are not going to find in Ireland, that we're not going to find in these other places. There is a richness in South Africa that, that you know, we would be selling our birthright for some lentil stew if we decide to leave here. That's my personal conviction. But there are, there are waves coming across the country, you know, that Eskom and, and that the, the, the State Capture Commission and corruption and racial divide and racial hatred and poverty and these things are insurmountable. And the enemy is wanting to use the population to build these, just throw another rock on there, throw another rock, and these things become bigger and bigger and bigger. And before we know it, oh my word, we're focusing on the problem and it's like, there's no ways. We, we, you know, I don't want to have any children, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bring any children to this world. But the truth of the matter is, very much like the, like the 12 spies that went into, um, the 12 spies that went into the promised land. Ten of them came back and said, no, the giants are way too big for us. No, no, we're going to die. It's just, it's just too much. But two men came back 
and they had the Spirit of God in them. And they came and they said, no, 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 we see the fruit. We don't see the giants. We see the fruit. We see what God has, has promised us. This is ours. And because of that, they were able to rise up and they were able to motivate after a period of time for the Israelites to go in and take possession of that. But you know, the thing is like, we've got a number of different people here today. We have got different callings. We've got different specific desires that God has placed inside of us. But uh, a testimony. So uh, we're in a, in a community where we see God move. And uh, three weeks ago, we prayed for a good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Yoran. And he's got motor neurons disease. And he's about 55. About a year and a half ago, he was running half marathons. He was, and he's a, he's a I mean, he was, he was, a great physical specimen for a 55-year-old Swede, you know. And he got this disease, and we saw him about three or four weeks ago, and there, this, there was this guy that was so fit, so strong, sitting in a wheelchair, struggling to breathe because his muscles were struggling to push his lungs so that he could breathe. He couldn't, he, he struggled to speak, he, he needed to type messages on his phone by using his eyes, and he was in a little wheelchair. He had to move a little lever forward and back. And that disease is a lie. That's not the truth. The truth is that Jesus came, and his blood was shed so that he, his body was broken so that he could be healed. That is the truth. And so as a community, we prayed for him. And, um, and this week, his wife sent a message to Shane and just said, just want you to know that he's just had the best month he's ever had. And she said it was the best month because he hasn't, hadn't regressed any further. But you know, for me, you know, and we do see miracles, I'm not, I'm not, but for me, you know, when Vida spoke about the revivals, you know, how thousands of people came um, to salvation, like just because they saw a sign over the building, you know, and the people blocks away would fall over under the power of God. And people and healings were so prevalent and so... And even if you look back at the Bible, you know, um, Jesus speaks of John the Baptist, you know, and he says, Have you seen John the Baptist? There is no prophet that's been greater than him. And the word there, greater, doesn't just mean great, it means stronger. So that means from Moses to Elijah to Elisha, all of these prophets, the mighty miracles that Elisha and Elijah did and Moses did, John the Baptist is greater than, than him. And then Jesus ends it off and he says, but whoever's least in the kingdom is greater than even John the Baptist. Now that could be a little bit confusing because how can I be greater than John the Baptist? The reason why I can be greater than John the Baptist is because Jesus died for me and the spirit of the living God dwells in me and so now when Jesus says, I will do greater works than even Jesus, it's because Jesus is in me. It's because he is in me and he is now choosing to use me like this, where I can focus as I co-labor with the Father, I can focus to bring kingdom down and focus it on specific things. And as I said just now, you know, there are many different people here and we've got different desires. But you know, God wants to use you for economic miracles, economic miracles to break poverty. We thought that, that uh, Elisha filling all those jars and the, and the jars never running empty and being able to sell and cover all of the, all of the debt, we thought that was a big, that's a big miracle. Jesus feeding 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fishes, that's a big miracle. God wants to use us. And that is our inheritance. And that is what the, the Father is drawing us into. 
That is, I love the themes that keep on coming through in this community. You know, um, was it restoring the magnificence? That is what God wants. God wants to restore the magnificence so that we are not fatigued because we've experienced some disappointment and we've, dis- we've experienced some delay and we've experienced some things that haven't really gone the way that we wanted to. But really what he wants us is he wants our hearts to be whole because if this lens is dirty, there's some, it's not going to be as effective in focusing, focusing the truth onto, onto things. And again, it's not performance. But it's an invitation to come into the more. Come into the more freedom and come and let me show you what inheritance you really have. Economic miracles, medical miracles, whatever miracles, miracles of emotional healing, relational healing. You know, the enemy wants us to focus on putting people in prison. He wants us to focus on the lies. He wants us to focus on putting God in a prison. But God cannot be bound by a prison. God is so much more. And so I just want to close off. Um, you know, I didn't know that we were going to be praying on Wednesday night. Um, I maybe might not have read my notices, and, but, <laughs> which is very true. I'm, I'm, I'm not a detailed person, and I'm administrat- administratively challenged. But God has a purpose for this country. God has a purpose for us as individuals. And I really believe we were praying um, a, a little while ago, and I just felt like God's saying, I want the mighty ones to rise up. And Jola talks about in the end times, he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, on all flesh. And we're going to dream dreams and we're going to prophesy and we are dreaming dreams and we are prophesying, but to a greater extent, to the power of exponential, you know, he wants to break out and he's looking for us to get to a place where instead of high places or little hurts that are holding us back, he wants us to have places that are consecrated to him, that are in alignment with him, where we can fully trust in the goodness of God. We can fully trust in everything that he has for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit thecollectivechurch.ca today.